Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Hendrix Murphy's podcast, Relit, where literature and language are always topical. We hope you enjoy. My name is Holly Fort, and I am going to be a junior next year at Hendrix, so I guess I'm graduating in 2022. Um, I am from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Well, I, I've lived here since I was seven home mm-hmm. um, so then when I came home for the summer well I guess I came home in March <laughs> year um, I really felt that I needed to keep myself busy over um, the summer especially because I knew that a lot of my other plans I had already wasn't possible so I was just trying to find things that I was really passionate about that I could keep doing um, from my house this summer and so I was lucky enough to get an internship with the New Mexico Immigrant Law Center Um, and they are a group that works to um, well they work in immigration law but they do a lot more things Um, Mm -hmm. they kind of um, work to advance justice and equity for the low-income immigrant community, um, namely for those who are facing deportation, but they do a lot of different programs for outreach. They do a lot of work with a pipeline program trying to get um, people from more diverse backgrounds into the legal field um, because actually um, attorneys are the least diverse field. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, that doesn't sound good. I know. And so their whole motto is like, you are best served when people who are yourselves are representing you. So they do a lot of work there. Um, And then also economic justice, health care justice, a lot of different branches they have. Um, Another thing about them is that they tend to do more humanitarian based immigration, um, which means that they don't tend to do family-based immigration, which is where um, if you have family living in the United States, then you come meet your family, just because there's a lot of other organizations that provide those kinds of services in Albuquerque and New Mm -hmm. Mexico. They kind of felt that there was a lot of different places where um, there were gaps, and so they tried to like create this organization like 10 years ago, I think, to fill in all of the gaps. So they tend to work with people who have been victims of crimes in the past. Um, so providing justice for, or and providing legal status for those who are victims of human trafficking or of um, domestic violence or different, uh, those I feel like are the most common, but really there's a whole list of like 50 or so crimes that qualify you to get different kinds of humanitarian-based immigration. So that is what they do. And then my role, I guess, is lots of random things. We <laughs> um, do a lot of grant, grant research, grant um, organizing, and kind of creating a better tracking system and to know when and where funds are available and who we're getting our funds from and do their do the groups that we're getting money from match up with our values so kind of helping with that 
Um, then also just um, interviewing different people and writing it up for the newsletter. Um, and then also um, I'm doing a lot of translating, translation, <laughs> translation, mm -hmm. which is why um, I'm doing this through Hendrix Murphy's program. Um, but mostly the translation just is me translating information from Spanish to English and then putting it into different forms. Um, the, the main forms I've been working with are N400 forms, which are um, um, applications to become a citizen through the United States. Um, so pretty much the NMILC will send out like a information form to their clients and then the clients will fill it out. And if the clients don't speak English, then they'll fill it out in Spanish and they'll have a Spanish form. And then I just take that form and for the parts that I'm certified to translate, I will translate to English and then copy it into like an online database where their application is kept. Mm -hmm. And then also I've been doing a lot of translating for um, and requesting release because um, of medical conditions they have that put them at higher risk for COVID. Oh, right. So, yeah, that is what I have. That is what I've been doing this summer. Well, that's really interesting. And I feel like what you're doing is, is very important. Um, yeah. And so I'm, I, and I had no idea until Hope kind of gave me a list of, of Murphy related things. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and I saw that you were doing this and I was like, wow, that's super cool. So, yeah. Very yeah. Good. It's so funny that I. It turns out I knew a woman who founded it for a long time, and I never realized what she did. So. Oh wow. <laughs> learning what your friends do more thoroughly. Always do that. Yeah. <laughs> you can. Yeah, having those connections is is important. Yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. Um, but yeah. So something I was I was looking over your your notes and something that jumped out at me out of all of this is um is you saying that that something that's complicated is the assumption particularly in in albuquerque or new mexico that all people seeking asylum there um speak spanish so what other um languages have you seen or heard or know about that that a lot of that a lot of those seeking asylum speak um because that's not something that I think we hear a lot about, and I'm interested to know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think that assumption is especially challenging, particularly in Albuquerque and New Mexico, just because it's true that the majority of people seeking asylum or seeking some sort of immigration helpless NMILC do speak Spanish. Um, but I think it is also part of a larger trend in the United States to think that um, all that, like, immigrants just become meshed together into, like, one brown entity, mm -hmm. and it's really <laughs> much more complicated than that, um, and so there are people emigrating here from all over the world, um, and so NMILC itself has, they did a few, um, surveys, uh, among their clients, and they really, felt that they wanted to do a better job making sure that they were accessible to all of their clients. Um, like, and, and so um, 
they have recently started hiring a lot more people who speak different Asian languages to address that, and so, um, like, I guess in New Mexico, majority is Spanish, but then there are also lots of French and Portuguese speaking clients, I think, kind of next up, and then after that, um, I can imagine, but there is very much, um, I think the fact that we, um, as a country, kind of look at immigrants and kind of put them into a monolith of one group, one entity, mm-hmm. um, and that the group that most people would just assume speaks Spanish. Though even when it's when it's a group trying to do work, it's really hard to kind of navigate like. Um, that's that stereotype I guess um, but yeah it, it is hard when the majority of people you're working with do speak Spanish time we ha- like you have to acknowledge that not everyone seeking service here speaks is, is a Spanish speaker right try to make sure that you are able to help whoever fits the qualifications that you're trying to yeah, exactly. That makes sense, and it's good to hear that they seem to be taking more action to try to cover all those bases and all the different languages. Um, I think that's very important. Yeah, I think it's also like a lesson um, for um, community organizing and community, um, like, contacts again making contacts it started a lot of collaborating with different groups in Albuquerque that were um, specialized in different areas so um, because they felt that they uh, really wanted to make themselves more accessible to the Asian American community that was um, needing immigration services or legal services here they started this um, uh, collaboration program I don't really know what you want to call it with the New Mexico Asian Family Center. Um, and it's, so it's just kind of like a reminder that if your goal is to advance the immigrant community here to build power among their community, like you really have to be aware of every single person who's a part of that community and all the different shapes that, that an individual could take. Um, and like you really able to best serve them when you involve everyone who is a kind of an expert in different different sections and when you all work together you kind of bring all the best best food to the table I guess right yeah I know what you mean um yeah so that's very interesting um your take on that um so I guess branching off of that how vital do you think knowledge of the Spanish language is at the NMILC, like, I guess, what would, what would daily operations look like if, um, people, if there weren't people there who spoke both English and Spanish, or the knowledge wasn't, uh, as potent, um, like, what kind of barrier would that create, do you think? Um, this might sound harsh, <laughs> but I really don't think the NMILC could function if, if, 
every single person there wasn't fluent in Spanish. Right. Um, pretty much Spanish fluency and English fluency are required to work there. Um, um, not necessarily to volunteer. And there are different kind of communication things I'm sure you could work through without knowing Spanish. But pretty much if you don't speak English and Spanish, um, I don't really think you would be considered <laughs> there just because everything they do requires both of those languages. And it's also like, as soon like English and Spanish, bare minimum, the more languages you know on top of that, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess if you're thinking about it, like applying to there, the, the higher on the, on the stack you become or whatever, but right. um, it's kind of like, to know who your audience is and who you're reaching so if your audience is um kind of the typical albuquerque person who you think wants to help um and volunteer with you then sure you just need english and to convince the average american that like to donate or that immigration reform is important um i think that's where most of the english part comes in but also like who are you serving and why majority of people you're serving speak Spanish and if you're not able to solidly communicate in Spanish mm-hmm. with them like the whole point of what you're trying to do fails um, also most of the people who work there are native Spanish speakers um, who either are immigrants themselves or first generation um, just because of that whole motto of like to build power, I mean, ultimately the goal is to build power in the immigrant community, and to do that, um, you have to have people who've lived those stories. When you think of asylum seekers, you see, like, yourself, or your friends, or your family, or, mm-hmm. um, and, and when it's, like, your own community representing yourself, like, obviously, that's when you're able to do the job best, mm-hmm. um, and so in that sense, I think Spanish is crucial. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, I think that was very well said. And yeah, I agree. Like, I couldn't see, (laughs) after you describing sort of how it functions, I couldn't see it operating without everyone being able to speak both Spanish and English. So I think that just really... Sorry. (laughs) Um, I think that just really brings out the importance of language and particularly Spanish, um, like pretty much all over the U.S., but like especially in that region, I'd say, or in the South. Yeah, especially in New Mexico, where um, Spanish culture is is so entwined, like, um, in the culture here that, like, 30% of New Mexico's population speaks Spanish as a first language and so like everything is so involved in Spanish already so I think like even if we weren't even talking about immigration the fact that I live in New Mexico and (laughs) I'm in a place called New Mexico (laughs) requires me that I should speak Spanish yeah exactly yeah you're right um okay so I'm looking at the questions that I have here. Um, I don't know, you might have already, this 
might already be included in, in the languages that you were talking about earlier that are sort of the, the lesser spoken ones um, of the people that come through, but what would you say is the language most in need of someone else who speaks it um, at the NMILC or like what what would you say is the language the language that is most rare or least spoken? Um, so like few, if any, people know it in that region and and like where you work, pretty much not just like worldwide. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I don't. I don't know if I have the correct answer for that. Um, I mean, the language most needed is Spanish, just by like numbers of applications. Right, there, right. There's a lot of French and Portuguese cases. Um, and also Arabic speaking clients. Um, rarest, I feel like it's just kind of, it could be a, a large, well, not, um, <laughs> what do I mean? Um, I feel like every now and again you get a, um, refugee case or an, um, asylum seeking case from someone from kind of a more remote part of the world. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that there was a case a few years ago of someone who came from rural Chad, um, and so they they did speak French, kind of, but their native language was a language that, like, only one other person in New Mexico spoke. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I feel like if there's, um, like, people who speak more indigenous, like, smaller or, like, less people speak them languages, not, that is rare. And there's a lot of translation services available, but it's a very different thing using a translation service or having to call translator and have, it like, a weird third-party kind of deal mm -hmm. versus having a attorney being able to speak to the client directly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's interesting to hear about the more remote places. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Um, okay, so this is one that I've thought about, this, this question is one that I've thought about myself, um, and I think that the more the U.S. grows, it'll be something that, like, we'll really have to think about, but, um, we'll kind of get there. Uh, so how important do you think it is for people to know more than one language in general? Like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um infinitely important to, like, no one should... <laughs> um, honestly, I think, I, th I think that question is a uniquely American question. I agree, which yeah. Which is funny, <laughs> just because I really don't think there's another place in the world in which people aren't, like, learning another language isn't, like, a necessity. Exactly. I think, I think it's for kind of two reasons. I think, one, it's just, like... Physically, geographically, we are very isolated. So, like, when you're in a lot of these, like, European countries, let's say, they're all much smaller, and there's, like, a lot more travel between them, I feel. So when there's, like, I think there's, like, just a lot more languages being moved around in general, which makes it easier. Um, but then I think also there's a mentality here <laughs> of, like, if you don't speak English, then you're not worth my time talking to. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. And I feel like you see that 
in lots of different ways and to varying degrees. Um, I think it's interesting, like, how, how fluently the rest of the world speaks English, and then, like, when... <laughs> American students say that, like, oh, yeah, I speak Spanish. They've, like, taken two years of it in high school, and it's, like, just kind of atrocious. Yeah, um, I definitely relate to that. <laughs> yeah. I just kind of think it's just, like, I think it's a question of respect. I think it's a question of success. I think it's a question of, um... I don't even know what the word I'm looking for is, but I really think that the, like, as much as kind of American society doesn't want to admit it, like, the ability for us to succeed and only speak one language is dwindling. Not that that's really why I think people should care about being able to speak more than one language. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't think that speaking one language is super viable yeah i i agree definitely yeah yeah and i think it's just like people who are bilingual and multilingual i mean their brains just function on a completely different level and just the the amount of people you're able to connect to and understand once you speak more than one language should drive everyone to want to speak another language yeah I completely agree like and and that's really a good way to put it because there are you know different reasons for I guess trying to take up anything new especially I feel like Americans like have this sort of disposition that's like I need a really good reason if I'm gonna like exert myself (laughs) and like try really hard at something and and you're right like it is it is just gonna I think it's just going to become necessary but aside from that I mean it is really amazing like how much the world opens up to you once you can speak even one other language aside from English um yeah yeah, so I mean I I definitely I don't have the experience you have by any means um and your work and everything but I definitely think it's important that people should people should know more than one language and Americans especially I think need to get out of the headspace that English only is acceptable like no you need to at least try to learn something else (laughs) I think also like as soon as you start you start learning other languages there's kind of what you were saying there's like a complete change in mindset of how you view other people how you view other countries in relationship to your own and I think that like mindset change of I don't know I guess kind of this culture of I'm the most important I'm the best where Mm -hmm. we're at the top everyone must fit like me I feel like once that starts to become kind of broken down and ultimately like really deeply disregarded I think that's when a lot um a lot of the issues in this country and I guess around the world will start to be solved and I think obviously it's not just like learn a new language and immediately the world is a better place yeah I do think that 
becoming more connected with other people will help make the world a better place and I think you do that through language a lot of times. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. I think that learning a new language will humble you and and make you realize that you don't know as much as you might have thought that you did. And oh, yeah. it also, in general, just like opens up a new way of communication um, with different people from different cultures, sometimes like on the complete opposite side of the world. And some of these ideas that you might hear from these people, you would you'll never be introduced to if you don't know their language. And not everything has an English translation. I think that's something else that people have to understand. So that's another reason why it's so important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess that <laughs> kind of leads me to this next question. Um, do you think that it should be a requirement for everyone in the U.S. to start learning Spanish or like another language in general, but I guess especially Spanish from like the very beginning of school and, and then like become fluent maybe by the time they finish secondary school? This is kind of a big question, I guess, but it's something that I've thought about a lot. Um, yeah, because especially because Spanish um, is just like so prominent in the U.S. I mean, like, so so what are your opinions on that? 100% infinitely yes <laughs> I shouldn't have to start doing that um, I I went to this weird little liberal hippie private school so I went to the same school 6th to 12th grade mm -hmm. um, and so I, I took Spanish 6th to 12th grade so I feel like that is a little bit longer than other and like people in the American school system take another language um but, I, I mean, I, in my ninth grade, I did a Mexican exchange program where they, they send students from a school in Mexico here, and then we send students back there, and we do it every year. So my ninth grade, I went there, and there is a school that goes from kindergarten to 12th grade, and kindergarten to ninth grade, I'm sorry. And um, they start learning English when they're kindergartners. <sighs> and yeah. I mean, their English is perfect by the time they're in third grade. Honestly, it, it's better than mine, just because <laughs> of yeah, things I catch myself saying, and I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. But, um, and it was really embarrassing for me, because I'm like, I am 15 years old, and I speak, like, the equivalent of, like, a first grader's English mm -hmm. for them. So, at, like, and I was just like, I think so strongly it hit me that I'm like I wish I could have done this like when they were that young and I think it's just because I, I mean there's all those studies that like the earlier you start learning things the be like the easier it is oh, yeah. for you um, and so I think it's just like by the time they're in third grade they're doing like half the day in English and so I think I think about how different it would be for me if I started learning Spanish that early and I it it's just I, I don't know <laughs> but I, I would imagine it would be <laughs> my Spanish would be very different for me right now had that happened and I guess it's one thing for me to say because it's like clearly I want to want to call myself fluent in Spanish mm -hmm. um, 
and I don't I don't know if that's the same for anyone but I think that I, I mean I don't think I'm qualified to know what those outcomes would be but I'm sure there would be significant positive outcomes mm-hmm. for this country if you have school systems start having students learn languages when they're a lot younger yeah I yeah. really can't think of a job in our country right now that wouldn't be benefited by being able to speak to multiple people um healthcare field super important that you're able to speak to a lot of people um education transportation uh i guess i don't i don't know but those are three random yeah but (laughs) all of them yeah, I get what you're saying, and I and I do, again, <laughs> I think I agree with you on all of these things. I definitely agree with that. I think that it's really just a double standard that, and it's not like, it's just like every country, pretty much. Every, I'd say, major country learn has, like, a lot of schools that, if not all of them, that teach English from, like, the very beginning. And so, like, I went to Japan, um not as like a language immersion thing really is more like a culture thing and it was for a week like right before I went to yeah (laughs) right before I started high school and it I I feel what you mean when you said that you were embarrassed because I didn't know any Japanese at all (laughs) so so I'm like I'm over here not knowing any Japanese at all none having to use google translate constantly and my host sister and the kids. So like the parents don't really know any English. I'm not really sure why that is. Maybe it's like kind of a recent um, implementation for for Japanese people to start learning English in school, but like from an early age, but, um, or maybe they just forget <laughs> over time if they don't like pursue it. But um, I know that my, uh, my host sister who was like 14 at the time maybe and her little sister, they they had started learning English from a young age, and they couldn't speak it perfectly by any means, but it was much more than I knew in Japanese, and so that I just felt so guilty, and I hated, like, that yeah. we had to communicate in a way that wasn't really conducive because of that. Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, like, I do think... Sorry, you can go ahead. Oh, no, I just think you described it perfectly when you said double standards. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's that same double standard in almost, like, every way we interact with other countries, other people. Yes. <laughs> yes, I cannot agree more. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just, I, I'm kind of, like, with you and, and your experience, uh, probably, like, little less so after taking a Spanish class with you, <laughs> but uh, I started learning Spanish from from fifth grade and that was only because I think it's only because I went to an MYP uh like IB world school thing I'm, it stands oh, for like okay. it's like the middle years program of the international uh baccalaureate thing and yeah I went to a high school that offered um the IB diploma but I didn't do that because instead I went to a residential high school for my like last two years but um the so we had like intermediate school which was fifth and sixth grade and then we went to middle school which was seventh and eighth grade so that was kind of odd but I started learning Spanish in fifth grade 
because we got to choose any, well, not any language. We had a few, but Spanish was one of them. And I just, I think my thinking was actually at that time, like, there are a lot of people that speak Spanish. So, like, I should probably learn that. (laughs) So, like, even at that age, I was, like, already knowing. (laughs) So, I feel like we might as well just take the step. I don't really know what we can do, but it needs to happen. (laughs) It would be so easy to do. Mm-hmm. And, I don't know. Just yeah, and it's interesting to me because I never hear it talked about in politics. It's never a talking point, but I feel like it's more important than people think. Maybe more important than politicians think, or maybe they just like don't think it's that. I don't know, like that worth their time or something, which is kind of sad if that's the case. But um, I definitely think that. I mean, with everything that's happening, we just need to start thinking more about what steps we need to take as a country to improve ourselves. And I feel like language really is a big part of it. Like, learning another language, make it a requirement. Like, if people get upset, then that just, you know, I don't know what to say to that. Like, it's like, you don't see these other people getting upset over being forced to learn English, as far as I know, at least. Like, yeah, yeah, so. Okay, you go on your abroad or like tour around the world whenever you graduate or whatever it is you're doing like I feel like you would still benefit from from at least a certain amount of capability in another language I also feel like you'll appreciate it as soon as you're trying to apply for a firm and once they affirm I just assumed whatever job it is they're applying to <laughs> right I feel like benefiting from that would be enough to make people want to do it but I don't know I don't know some people are very stubborn yeah and I just wonder like how can we make it something that politicians talk about like who who do we bring it up to you know I'm just wondering now what the next steps would be to like make it a thing you know like maybe I don't know if it would be like federally mandated or if it would be like according to every state maybe like we'd have to start small kind of give a little leeway at first ease people into it you know that kind of thing but i'm not sure yeah um but it's something to think about i really think that it's about time (laughs) like Yeah. yeah so um so i have kind of a I don't want to call it like a fun question, because <laughs> that sounds like insensitive, but it's like a, it's kind of like just a hypothetical question, because I don't know, I feel like this would be kind of wild, but, so my question for you is, how different do you think our world would be if everyone, like, in the world only knew one language, um, probably the language that they grew up speaking, like, what if no one learned another language when they grew like as they were growing up or anything like that what if we all just like spoke our individual languages like how how much do you think that would affect everything oh gosh (laughs) you can think about it however you want i know that's like a big question i don't want you to i don't yeah um no i think it is kind of even hard to imagine all of the different consequences that that would have. Exactly. And I'm sure there's, like, so many I can't even think of that would happen. Um, I mean, like, I guess right now, thinking about something like the pandemic we're living through, like, how would that be had 
like have people not been able to like communicate with one another um i think another way we're gonna see a lot of problems is once the the threats that our world is facing become more and more collective and the ability to address them i'm thinking climate change mostly oh yeah there's a lot of other ones that would fit like something like that where the whole world has to be on board with addressing i don't think that would even be a possibility um i think also um just the amount of knowledge our world would have had like we not been able to learn from one another or not share with one another like i just can't see any progress from like i feel like the whole point of learning multiple languages and communicating with people around you is to progress um Mm -hmm. and if we weren't kind of constantly like learning adapting changing evolving we learn from other cultures whether that be technology or mathematics or i don't even know well okay but yeah i don't know i just like so many of the like literature so Mm -hmm. many of the genres that we have now are just like one culture kind of takes one from another one tweaks it and adapts and then we have a new a new genre and like so i think all of these like i just don't think that knowledge would be ever would ever be able to be something that we can collect Mm -hmm. and build if people aren't able to yeah exactly i think that's the main thing and i think that's very well said like we wouldn't it wouldn't be very accessible we wouldn't have access to just this big like collection of knowledge i mean yeah you like talked about math and then you probably thought about how it's like numbers and symbols but also when someone's like teaching math they have to explain the concepts and their language so it's like if nobody I guess from the beginning of time or something, just in this hypothetical. (laughs) Um, Like, if we all just spoke our individual languages, everybody would be at different levels of progress because nobody would be sharing any information. Um, So that's just really interesting to think about, I think. And, yeah. I think another thing that would be really harmful, besides, well, I don't know, maybe our... the... What am I trying to say? <laughs> Maybe how far behind we would be had we not been able to communicate with other people or mm-hmm. make us not really be able to be so against one another because we wouldn't really be able to think about it that hard. <laughs> but I, I think another way <laughs> that not being able to communicate with one another also would represent like a lack of desire to do so. And I feel like that fact would be super harmful and just, like, like the amount of, like, hatred that would exist between different groups of people who speak different languages. Mm-hmm. And I, I, like, we can already kind of see that. Well, already kind of. We can't see that today. But I just, like, I don't know. I think about, I feel like it would be a very ripe with hate that world yeah 
Yeah, for sure. I definitely agree with that. And I guess what I'm what I'm really trying to highlight with a lot of these questions is just how important language is. I feel like um, with Hendrix Murphy, sometimes we have difficulty <laughs> finding uh, things to talk about relating to language, and we mostly talk about literature. Um, yeah. But, and and I'm sure that we all kind of like know somewhere the impact that knowing a different language has and that language in general has, but just really laying it out and talking yeah. about it and thinking about it. I think, I think that it's helpful and, um, yeah, it, it is interesting to just kind of see all this. Yeah. I, I think yeah, particularly working in immigration, you see kind of just how English fluency is, um, and how easily well, how common it is to discriminate against people based on, like, language ability. Mm-hmm. Um, like, especially here, those who aren't in this country, those who don't speak English, and then also an extra layer on those who don't speak English or Spanish. Um, oh, yeah. It, it is... I mean, our immigration system is kind of impossible for anyone, but it's designed that way intentionally. And so yeah. those trying to navigate it who can't understand it, it, it is just, like, so incomprehensibly cruel. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, like, also I'm thinking, like, there's been some issues in New Mexico with calling numbers and being able, regarding coronavirus helplines and being able to get that service in Spanish. Mm. Um, like, um, and just how much people are asking here, like, please sign up to do COVID, like, help lines if you can speak English and Spanish. Like, like you don't really think about how important it is to, like, I feel like a lot of Americans are just like, oh, yeah, like, I'll take a fun class in school, and, like, that's what language is kind of like yeah I agree it's like an elective it is an elective I'm yeah. pretty sure yeah. <laughs> like and I think a lot of times it's kind of thought of as less serious and less intense than other classes I guess it's like a little bit of a break um but really language is like life and death <laughs> yeah for so many people exactly like, learning how to like really contextualize language in kind of a a more political a more realistic and like kind of cultural context is so important another thing language the importance of language makes me think of is um i um a lot of high school i worked with um refugee youth in albuquerque um and the group i worked with they were mostly entirely from like Eastern African countries like Tanzania and Uganda mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were, I, I mean, I was a tutor, so I kind of like mentored, tutored them in their English and their reading and writing here. Um, and something that, another way that language plays a huge part is just like the ability to participate in class and I think that like it's super weird like for for me I think of Spanish as like oh I'm going to Spanish class but for so many of these kids like 
every single class is in a different language. Mm-hmm. Um, especially for when, you know, um, you had very few years of formal education. So you can not read or write in your own native language, let alone English. Um, and so a lot of the kids I was working with were like failing out of school, high school, because they were placed in classes based on their age, not in their ability level. So like you have um, kids who barely speak English being placed into like a sophomore biology class, not like unable to read, mm-hmm. but like being like locked down a textbook in front of them. It's like, do your homework and if you fail, then fell out of high school and it's just like look at think about how many things are taken away from you yeah possibilities don't even have like a high school education yeah um i definitely i've thought about that and um for a couple of years i went to uh hot springs high school which is like an hour and a half away from Conway, which is where Hendrix is for anyone who's listening <laughs> and doesn't know in Arkansas. Um, Hot Springs is where I grew up and going there, we had, I'd say kind of ironically, a good majority of our school uh, was made up of minorities. And we definitely had a few um, Hispanic people that did not speak like any English and they were in my classes. <laughs> and so I would, I would just think like, like, what are the expectations for them? Like, you know, you'd hope that that the teacher isn't, like, going to be harsh or expect the same out of, out of these kids who can't, like, necessarily read or speak or, like, understand English as, like, other people who are obviously native English speakers. Like, I just, I don't think it's appropriate to put them in that situation. And it is sad that it's, like, yeah, so... That's that's another reason why, but like the kids I worked with, aged from like age five, ranged from age five to eighteen, and like the kids in kindergarten are fine because you're all being taught to read at the same time, and like that's another benefit to like learning a language earlier. It's like you have twelve years or whatever to like master it in school, but these kids that are coming over like late teen, like have it's so much harder. Um, yeah exactly and like I mean when you were working with them it was like well like do I just help you get your homework done or do I like I'm like okay we're not going to do the homework today like let's go and try to read like a pre-k level book you know and it was just like kind of like a like what's what's more helpful I guess like short term versus long term exactly Um, but yeah like English is English is just determined so much for so many of these these people, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's like another thing to keep in mind when you think about immigration reform and kind of improving it for um, anyone is to kind of think about like, well, to make it more accessible to others is it not just like changing the the legal service so like having attorneys be able to speak multiple languages is mm-hmm. also like working how to figure out okay how do i include these people into my community and help them succeed in a kind of every stage you know right um yeah see that's 
this is something that I didn't even think about earlier when we were talking about making it a requirement for American to learn something besides English, uh, probably particularly Spanish, is the fact that if teachers, <laughs> like, if we started where we are right now, and in a couple of decades, we'll say we have a new generation of teachers who all can speak Spanish as a second language, like, we wouldn't even have a need for people coming in who don't know English to know English necessarily, like, and what I think would be good, ultimately, not to, like, <laughs> like, not to make this, like, a podcast where we just, like, come out with, like, here are our political, or here are, our, like, policy proposals, but it is interesting to think about. I think that there are two facets. I think that it would be a really good idea to have it be a requirement for us, for every American to learn a second language, particularly Spanish, and I think it would be a good idea as well to improve, um, like, how we... Or just in general, like, do what we can to ensure that refugees or immigrants or anyone who's coming from a Spanish-speaking country can adapt at whatever age and that we can help them speak English. Because it shouldn't be one-sided. It shouldn't be, oh, they have to know English, oh, we have to know Spanish. Might as well just cover all of our bases, I think, and have us both doing our best to understand each other. And... And us helping them understand us because, like, that's that's our job at that point. <laughs> um, so, I guess that leads me to one of my last questions, which is, what improvements do you think should be made by um, U.S. immigration workers in helping those who don't speak our language to transition, um, especially those, I guess, who who aren't children. Um, and so who don't have, I guess, more, who, who whose minds, like, don't pick up things as fast because, you know, that's when you're, when you're a child, obviously you learn things faster, you grow up, and then it becomes more difficult, especially a whole new language. What do you think can be done in that case? Like, what kind of things do you think um, should be made to happen? I mean, this might be too big of a question, uh, but, no. yeah. Want to clarify that I understand the question. So, are are you asking like, do I think immigration, like those involved in U.S. immigration, can do to make it more accessible to those who don't speak English? Yes. Or, well, I, wait. You can go ahead and say what. <laughs> it might have been. I mean, please clarify. Pretty much, I'm asking. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> what, um, yeah, what can U.S. immigration do? Like, what policies can they put into place? What kind of methods can they make, I guess, mandatory in the case that there's somebody who, um, shows or notes a need because they don't, they're not fluent in English or they don't speak English very well, um, regardless of their child or adult, like, what do you, what things do you think would really help these yeah. people learn English and that would be a great idea, or, yeah, a good idea to, to make it to where, like, this is what, like, this is, to make it something that is just regularly done, maybe in the future, like, mm -hmm. 
something that's just part of normal practice to to have this help for these people. Um, I guess especially though I'm talking about those who are more in their teenage years, as we were kind of talking about, because it is harder in that case for them yeah. to pick up a new language. Um, you know, I, I think there's kind of so many things that need to be done that I don't even know where to start. And also by, by no means am I an expert, so I'm sure there's plenty of things going on that are trying to do this or directives or organizations working to fix this that have really great ideas so I should definitely learn what they're saying um I mean something that I feel super simple but not done very much is just every time you come out with something translating it into every single language and getting it out Mm -hmm. I think that one of the greatest problems in our immigration system is um a lack of transparency and it's kind of like super exclusive so when a lot of these um decisions are coming out about like small decisions regarding how like i mean recently like the trump administration kind of like every other day there's like changes being made Mm -hmm. um and like the people who those changes affect they don't know that those changes are happening or they don't know that those things are going on I think that's super harmful so working to make sure that all the changes are put into the language and like given out to everyone I think that is super important and kind of like going into that the whole know your rights campaigns those are so crucially important because Mm -hmm. and that's another thing of lack of transparency and exclusiveness is just like people have no idea what their rights are especially people who don't speak english and especially people who like um if you're never told them how would you kind of ever know and if you can't read them and they're like oh here let me throw in this thing for you but it's not in your language it's useless and 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 that's intentional so i think i think forcing our government to uh make information like that accessible is one of the most important things they can do at least regarding Mm -hmm. language right um and then and then to help others who don't speak english learn english once here um you know i i i don't know um i I think a lot of these tutoring things that are going on is helpful, but obviously, like, to a certain degree, mm-hmm. um, you know, I would love to hear what you have to say. Yeah, I do have a couple of ideas, but I definitely think that, like, there's there's nothing we'll be able to settle on, probably, <laughs> with the, like, in this, in this episode. It would be something for people, I guess, who are well-versed in policy and everything to really have a big conversation about. But um, a couple of things I've thought about is, well, speaking of, like, literature, since this is all about literature and language, or that's Hendrix Murphy, um, thinking about if we provided um, non-English speakers with... English literature and just kind of like let them so the problem with that is like not 
you, you'd have to have like at least a little English to be able to sort of use context clues to figure out words you don't know and pretty much what we do when we are starting to learn another language and have to start reading in that language. But for those who may know a little English already or like a, a fair amount, um, I feel like providing English literature of sorts um, at no cost to them would be helpful. Yeah. Um, no, I think that's super true. Yeah, because I feel like it would be maybe tedious and, and not really, like, I don't know, realistic at the moment to try to provide every single person with, like, tutoring because there are just so many people. Yeah. And, no. and yeah. yeah. And, like, learning styles are different. So, yeah. like, giving these people the opportunity to maybe explore, like, the language on their own, yeah. like, yeah. without think, them having to seek it out, yeah. Yeah, I think also, kind of exactly what you're saying, PV is strangely super good at that. I think uh -huh. just the ability to watch it and listen to it at the same time in a new language. Um, but my grandma emigrated to the United States in the 50s, and she only spoke German, so... She said, like, she spoke no English, and watching TV was the only way she was able to, like, learn English. And then I also think about, like, myself when I watch, like, Spanish television shows, which are, like, strangely gaining a lot of popularity right yes. now. Yes. I guess so is Spanish, Spanish music also. But just kind of watching and listening to that, and then especially with TV shows when you're able to put, like, subtitles on. So if it's too fast, you can still kind of, like, watch and go along that kind of practice is almost the best practice you can get. Yeah, I completely agree with that, and that's something I've tried to do personally, and I need to do again. Um, my roommate's been trying to get me to watch Elite, which is like a Spanish drama. <laughs> People say it's like the Spanish equivalent of um, 13 Reasons Why or something like that, because it has to do with like school drama, yeah, like high school drama, but um... Well, if you ever want to watch <laughs> super weird telenovela um la reina del sur is amazing so good it's on netflix highly recommend <laughs> okay i'm gonna write that down actually because that would be useful but yeah i mean i agree and i think that it's definitely because of the visual aspect because if you're reading and you just have the words and nothing else and you don't know any of them it's like how are you gonna figure it out yeah, you so know. yeah um that's one thing I've thought about. Um, I guess another thing is just, like, providing everybody who's in need um, with with tutoring at no cost of sorts. But, again, I just am not sure how realistic that would be. And that's another one of the reasons why I say, like, policymakers or whatever <laughs> would have to sit down and probably discuss that. Because I don't know anything about the logistics of that, really. But I just imagine that... For those who are older, as we were talking about, um, it would be nice to have a teacher because, like, I feel like it is just hard to, like, teach yourself a language when you're, especially, like, when you are not, no longer a child. Um, I've been wanting to teach myself Japanese for a long time, but I just haven't. <laughs> I probably could, yeah. but I just lack the motivation because it's not in, like, a classroom setting. Um yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's difficult, um, 
especially with whole like completely new symbols see that's one thing going from like a latin based language um to something with like katakana and symbols that are completely different <laughs> yeah but um i don't know there there are a few things that i feel like could be done um and i just don't know like how realistic because people we we have to change the way that people think because nobody's going to come up with policies or vote for policies that help out these non-English speakers when they already are having issues with them immigrating to our country or being in our country. Um, it just all kind of goes back to that, I think. People need to open up their minds. And, you know, <laughs> maybe we really should just start with requiring everyone to learn Spanish because I think that that does a lot more than just learning another language. It, it's just so multifaceted. I like the benefits of that so yeah yeah I feel like that might be one of the main takeaways <laughs> um looking at everything I feel like I feel like it would be just a, a great idea to do so yeah uh do you have any final thoughts I guess on everything we've talked about now we've kind of hit the hour mark oh gosh I don't know <laughs> um I guess just like um I don't know, just an encouragement for anyone who listens to kind of think about these issues and get involved in any way they can um, with um, immigration reform, immigrant justice, maybe perhaps not even reform. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I think that I hope other people have conversations like the ones we had I guess would be my biggest goal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just, I think this conversation is also important because I think it can be pretty easy to be like, oh yeah, literature and language, like some weird school. I know. <laughs> that doesn't have a lot of real world applications, but I feel like just think harder and literature and language have a connection to a lot of different things. And like, Exactly. Especially when we're talking about immigration, which is, I guess, so political, for better or for worse, regardless of if it is something that should even be political. Exactly, um, yeah. I think that's how language is so intertwined and it is super important. And then hopefully people start to take, well, in my case, Spanish literature and language seriously. Mm -hmm. Even at Hendrix and Chipotle, when they see these classes they're taking and kind of start to think about how it can add to maybe more meaningful or more um, tangible issues is when change starts to come or whatever you say. <laughs> yeah, no, I completely agree. I feel like that's a great takeaway. Yeah, I think people just need to start thinking about this sort of thing um, and just realizing how important literature and language are to the world. Um, I know a lot of uh, people who work in science and mathematics and technology um, really believe in those things advancing our society, which they certainly do, but I feel like without literature and language, how are we going to be able to communicate to 
do those things, <laughs> like to make those things happen, to have these advances in, in technology and whatever else. Um, people really need to be able to communicate with each other and share ideas. And so I feel like, indeed, that literature and language are a lot more important and present than people might previously imagine. So, yeah. But, yeah, I think that that is uh, pretty much it. And that wraps it up. <laughs> so thank you so much, uh, Thalia, for being on here. And I'm so, so glad that we had this conversation. I had no idea where it was going to go, but <laughs> I think with, we talked about a, a lot of really important things. And, you know, I guess that's the goal. So, <laughs> yes. Yes. yeah. Thank you for thinking of me. I'm glad you wanted me to be on here. <laughs> no problem at all. Thanks for listening to another episode of Relit. Join us next time for yet another dive into the world of literature and language.